0: morning. Um, Pastor Lee, he wears a hearing aid and I think he might need some uh, of those um, colorblind glasses because I'm a yellow at best. <laughs> uh, but those are some kind words. I, I, I love just preaching. Um, it's such a privilege and an honor that I get to do this with you today. Uh, in light of things that are happening in our nation. Um, some of you are unaware. There are what seems to be some type of, of move of the Spirit, some revival in Asbury Seminary. And uh, all of us as believers should be yearning for God's Spirit to move, right? But in order to see corporate and public revival, it begins in the individual. It begins with personal revival of God's word doing God's work in our heart. All of us are walking along a path. And Jesus said there's two of them. Okay, we're either on the broad road that leads to destruction or the narrow road that leads to eternal life. Oftentimes we can get consumed with looking around at how far along others might be ahead of us or how far behind some of us. But I want to ask of you one thing today as we open God's Word. Don't think about others when you're listening to this sermon. Think about yourself in relation to God's Word. This sermon is for you and your journey with Christ. The Bible tells us that we are to be conformed to the image of Jesus. That means that one of our goals in the Christian life is to change Change is good when it's biblical change. Okay, and that's what we're going to look at today. The title of this sermon is The Path to Transformation. So in honor of God's Word, I would love for you to stand. God wrote a book. And so when we open God's Word and we hear from God's Word, God is speaking. That's why we stand. We stand in reverence for God who is speaking to us. So hear the word of the Lord. Romans 12 verse 1. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word to us this morning. Please change us through it. Please, Holy Spirit, shape our hearts to be more like Jesus. If there's people in this room who do not know you, open their eyes this morning. Lord, change us. Change us according to your word to be more like Christ. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Y'all can be seated. So I'd love to share, many of you might not know who I am, I'd love to just share kind of my testimony of how I got to this point, I guess this pulpit. Um, I might, my parents are here today, I might give them PTSD reliving my teenage years, but that's all right. Um, yeah, so I was, I was born and raised in Tullahoma, uh in a Christian home. I'm very fortunate of the home God placed me in. When I was 10 years old, uh, God opened my eyes to see my need for him, to see how, how far I was separated from him because of my sin and, and how Jesus was the answer. And so I cried out to God to save me at 10 years old, and I believe he truly did. Jesus loves children, and I truly believe he saved me. Fast forward a little bit. I get into my teenage years, and I would be what you would call a backslidden Christian. Uh, my life was entrenched in worldliness, in all kinds of filth and immorality. I was consumed with sin. And senior year, I get in trouble by my parents. My mom gives me this Bible, underlines a verse, kneeling by the bed praying with me. Um, and I wasn't changed in that moment. But what I, why I, I like to highlight this is for you parents in the room to show you that planting seeds can bear fruit later in life. And so continue to plant seeds of prayer, seeds of God's Word into your children's lives because fruit might come later down the road, even when it seems like they're lost. Come to college, freshman year, UT Knoxville, surrounded with worldliness, and I'm in the middle of it. i failing out, I'm falling away, but God's grace enters in, and the Holy Spirit draws me to that Bible that I was given a year previously and I'm flipping through it, and I land on that verse, Proverbs 3, 6, it's now my life verse, submit to him, and he will make your path straight. God started to change me through his word. I couldn't get enough of it. I just started to like, man, it was just so good. It was, it was doing something to me, and, and because of that, I started to do what it said, and, and I started to lose friends, and old habits started to be replaced with new ones, and I, I got plugged into a local church, and all of these things were happening, and God was putting this fire in my bones to preach, and um, through the local church, and through my brother, who's a pastor, they affirmed that calling in me, and so I just continued through school. I met my beautiful bride, Hallie. We got married, and I go to seminary and become a youth pastor for a bit, but then we had babies, and we're like, going grocery shopping with three kids is really hard, so we moved back to Cookville to be near grandparents, and that's what brought me here today, but I say all of this for one reason and one Reason alone is that it was the mercy of God that changed me. I didn't pull myself up by my bootstraps and white knuckle my way into becoming a better person. It was when I came to the end of myself and threw myself upon the mercy of Christ that my life was changed. And to this day, my life is still being changed by the mercy of God. And yours can be changed too no matter how far gone you may think you are or how good you think you are, you need to cast yourself upon Christ daily. How do we do that? How do we cast ourselves upon Christ? It's by taking the first step on this path to transformation. It's to believe the gospel. Romans 12, part 1 of verse 1. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God... The word therefore exists to point us back. So when you come across that in your study of Scripture, it's pointing you back. It's a transition word that's connecting what is about to be said with what was said before. So everything that we're about to learn is directly connected to to what came before. And I believe Paul's speaking here about the entire letter of Romans up to this point, chapters 1 through 11. And you notice this in other letters of Paul. He does it very frequently. When he writes, he begins with doctrine, with with truth. And then he transitions into application based on that truth. Why does he do this? Because what we believe determines how we behave. Every action begins as a thought. Everything we do is premeditated. Okay when we sin, it wasn't because we weren't thinking in the moment. No, it wasn't like, oopsie, I fell into this sin. It wasn't accidental. Okay, no, we were thinking. We were just thinking about the wrong things. We were believing that disobeying God would bring us more pleasure than obeying God in that moment. You see, believing the right things about God and His Word is essential. Okay, this is the first step on the path to transformation, on the path to change. It's the first battle you must face when you are fighting sin in your life. It's to believe God. So what is it that Paul is wanting us to believe? What is it he's wanting us to know? The gospel. Okay, Paul summarizes the gospel in this verse. He calls it the mercies of God. I love that. If this is how Paul describes the gospel, then let's look at that word. Let's define mercy. What is it? It's when you deserve judgment, but you receive forgiveness. That's the gospel in a nutshell. God giving you mercy when you deserve hell. But let's break it down even further. What is the gospel according to Romans? Verse chapter 1 through 11. Romans 1 verse 1 through 17, we learn that God is righteous. He says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. And in Romans 1, 18 through 320, we learn that we are not righteous. That all have sinned and stand under the wrath of God. Paul says that as it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. All alike have become worthless. There is no one who does what is good, not even one. And in Romans 3, 21 through four twenty, we learn that by faith, Christ's atoning death makes the unrighteous righteous. Christ takes our sin, put it on himself, and gave us his righteousness in its place. Romans 3 says, But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been revealed, attested by the law and the prophets. The righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe, since there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. God presented him as the mercy seat by his blood through faith, to demonstrate his righteousness because in his restraint, God passed over the sins previously committed. God presented him to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so that he would be just and justify the one who has faith in Jesus. And in Romans 5 through 839, we learn that as a result of our justification, we are made new and find freedom from death, from sin, and from the law. Romans 8, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who were in Christ Jesus because the law of the Spirit has in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. And in Romans 9 through 11, we learn that God is righteous and faithful in his plan and choosing. It says, for he tells Moses, I will show mercy to whom I will show mercy and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it does not depend on human will or effort, but on God who shows mercy. And in Romans 11, verse 33 through 36, we learn that it is all for his glory. Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable His judgments and untraceable His ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been His counselor? And who has ever given to God that He should be repaid? For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things to Him be the glory forever. Amen? Why would God save us? Was it because we deserve it? No. When the kindness of God in Christ appeared, he saved us, not because of all of our good works, not because we met him halfway, not because we took the proper steps forward and elevated ourselves into the place of deserving salvation, but according to his mercy. We are here because Jesus didn't say, give them what they deserve. Instead, in seeing us in our need, in our despair, he left the eternal fellowship of the Trinity in heaven, came down to us, lived among us, suffered like us, and died for us. That is the gospel, the mercies of God. Do you understand this? Do you believe this? Have you experienced it? How is it possible to experience this and not be changed? It isn't. You haven't experienced the mercy of God if your life has not been transformed. Believing the gospel changes you. And it informs everything that we do in our walk with Christ till the day that we die. That is the first step on the path to transformation. Believe the gospel. But the next step you must take is a response. Is to dedicate yourself to God. Part 2 of verse 1. I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. What should we do in view of the mercies of God? Worship Him. How? By dedicating ourselves to God and being set apart for His pleasure. The word bodies in this text represents all that we have to offer, That includes our physical flesh, our mind, our heart, our soul, our time. No surface of our life should be untouched by God. All of it is to be used in worship to Him. He says our bodies are to be presented as a living sacrifice. In the old covenant before Christ, animals were sacrificed on the altar for various reasons according to God's law. You can't get far in the Old Testament before there's a lot of bloodshed. Sacrifice was essential to the life of Yahweh worshipers. But Christ has become this ultimate sacrifice and final sacrifice, and he's paid the death penalty for sin. So what does Paul mean then by by living sacrifice? Seems like an oxymoron, doesn't it? Sacrifices by nature result in death. So to be a living sacrifice means there must be some type of death that is spiritual instead of physical. And that's the daily walk of a Christian. The Bible calls us to die to ourselves daily, to be buried with Christ and raised with him. And I believe that's what's in view here, the daily death of a Christian. And there's two primary ways this plays out in the life of a Christ follower. The first is baptism. It's the first step you take in your dying to self as a Christian. Okay, it's it's you publicly professing your faith that, that you are dying with Christ and being raised with Him. And there might be some of you in this room who for fear or some reason are disobeying God and are not walking in obedience in baptism. And I just want to urge you, make your faith public. It's very important. Obey Christ. But the second way that I believe this is played out in the life of a Christian is our daily pursuit of holiness for God's pleasure. We don't talk about holiness a lot anymore. You listen to a lot of old sermons. They talked about holiness a lot. We need need to focus on on God's holiness and, and our holiness in response to Him. To be holy means to be set apart or distinct. Okay, so what are we being set apart or distinct from? The world. And what are we being set apart for? God's pleasure. So how do we become holy for His pleasure? It's by pursuing biblical change. Verse 2, do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. There is, a, there's, there's choices that we make. We, we can either be conformed to the world or be changed by how? By the renewing of our mind, our thinking, our view of truth. The language here around be conformed sounds very active, doesn't it? But in the Greek, it's actually a passive word. You may not realize it, but you quite possibly are being passively changed into a worldly person, even though you're a Christian. That's who Paul's preaching to here, Christians. And you can be a worldly Christian. There's some of you that's lives are characterized more by the world than they are by Christ. And here's the way that this might be occurring. I call this the transformation triangles. The first one is how we are conformed to this age. It's it's in the world... That's where we are right now. We're in the world. Okay, this age, whatever you want to call it, the culture, we're in it. We can't escape it. And we can let it change us, or we can be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And how the world changes us, it stems from the top down. It stems from ideas. Okay, remember that every action begins in the mind. Remember Genesis 3. What did the serpent tempt Eve with? Was it fruit? No. The serpent tempted Eve with an idea. What was the idea? God's word was not sufficient. God didn't know best. His ways were not good. And right now, the sufficiency and authority of Scripture is under attack in our world, and more specifically, our nation. And this is the primary way the enemy is seeking to change you. He wants you to believe lies. Some examples of this that enemy uses to, to help us, to try to make us believe that God's word is not sufficient is, is maybe in regard to sexuality. He wants you to believe that the sex is meant for outside of the union between a husband and a wife, whether it be homosexual sin or heterosexual sin. He wants you to believe that that what you're watching on your computer is not changing you. He wants you to believe lies about gender. I mean, this is happening right here in our town, in our schools, that God's design is not best, that it's not true. He wants you to believe lies about marriage, that when it gets difficult, that you can just check out. Follow divorce. I'm done. Uh, this, this is too hard. I want you to believe lies about pleasure. Consume and consume and just just do whatever your heart desires. That's Disney, right? He wants you to believe lies about money, that this is what life is about, and the more money you accumulate, the more worth you have. He wants you to believe lies about entertainment, that the music you listen to, the TV you watch, the books you read, the social media you consume. He wants you to believe that that doesn't change you. What false ideas are you believing? And one of the ways that these false ideas that we believe start to creep in and change us is through habits that we adopt. A habit is a routine of behavior that's repeated regularly and tends to occur subconsciously. Some of these habits that we have, every single person in this room, likely it's not in my pocket, it's down there, but these cell phones. You know, is it the first thing you look at in the morning and the last thing that you look at when you go to bed? they consume every second? Of your time that's not spent talking to somebody. Television, and do you feel like you're missing out if you don't have it on? Or you're missing the news, or, or you're missing that show that people's talking about. Whether it you know makes you angry or keeps you up all night on a binge. Maybe it's laziness, the habit of checking out when you get home instead of checking in and giving your spouse and your kids all that you have left in you. Maybe you're a student and you're being lazy in your studies, or you're. Uh, employee and you're being lazy on the job, stealing time maybe it's the old habits that mark your life before Christ and kind of creep their way back into your life Or maybe it's unhealthy habits of, that you're just doing to your body you're abusing your body, there, there's so many habits that we can have in our life you probably can think of some in your life that right, right now that are harmful to you harmful to your spirit, harmful to your heart harmful to your relationship with Christ what habits are they? Another way that the enemy in the world draws us away from Christ and conforms us to their image is through relationships. 1 Corinthians 15, says, Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. We like to use that scripture when we're talking about teenagers, but, but God's word is for all of us. Okay, there, there's some company that we can't help but be around, like our co workers. Are you participating in the gossip, in the slander, in the complaining? Are you joining in when your coworkers are talking bad about their spouses? You're letting them change you and and your speech. Maybe it's promiscuous relationships in your life with that boyfriend or that girlfriend and you're committing sexual immorality. Maybe it's your friends that don't follow Jesus. That was my early walk with Christ. I had to get rid of a lot of friends, especially in my teenage years and college years. What relationships do you have that are pulling you? away from Christ. There's a better way. A way that we can be changed by God. And it's by walking in the Spirit. And where the Spirit leads us is to replace these old things with the new things. Jesus had this, this analogy about wineskin. You can't put new wine in old wineskins or it bursts. Like we need new wineskins. We need new ways of doing things. And that's what the Gospel leads us to. And the first thing thing that we do in this journey of transformation of renewing our mind is to believe truth is to replace the lies of the enemy with truth what is truth john 17 17 says sanctify them in your truth this is jesus's words your word is truth we find truth in the word of god right here and if we want to be sanctified which means to become more like christ then we need to know truth aka the bible Every Christian is a theologian. Okay, theology is the study of God. Every time you open God's Word, you read a book about God, you talk about God, you're doing theology. Okay, and the primary purpose of theology is so that we would know God. And the more you know God through His Word, the easier it is to spot errors in the world. In order to discern what is false, we need to know what is true. This is how diamond testers know fake diamonds from real ones. It's not they know what all the fake diamonds look like. It's not that they know more about fake diamonds than anyone else. They just really understand the marks of a true diamond. So much so that when a fake diamond is presented to them, they can spot it immediately. That's how we are to be with truth and error. We need to know the truth so well that when a lie of the enemy is presented to us, we can spot it immediately. But it takes a lot of hard work to know truth. And that's why we need spiritual disciplines. Biblical spiritual discipline. First Timothy 4.7 says, Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. We need to replace these old habits with spiritual disciplines. 1 Corinthians 9.27, Paul says, I discipline my body to keep it under control. And a more literal translation of that text would say, I beat my body into submission to keep it under control. That's how serious Paul took the discipline of the Christian life. And in order to be transformed, we must be disciplined in our pursuit of holiness. For many, the Holy Spirit and God's grace seem to be in opposition to discipline. It's like, oh, God saved me. He kind of does this work. I don't really play a part in me becoming more like Jesus. But they're not in opposition. Okay, we should think of God's grace and our discipline as best friends. Grace is opposed to earning, not to effort. Okay, grace is opposed to you earning God's love. You can't earn it. He freely gives it to you. That's the gospel. But his grace works in tandem with your effort to pursue Christ. Sanctification is a partnership with the Holy Spirit. You see, Moses got to meet with God face to face. He was invited up Mount Sinai. He could have stayed at the bottom and said, No, nah, good. No, nah, God, I was saved. I'm good. You chose me out of all these people. I'm, I'm going to stay down here and just hang out. I know you invited me up to meet you, but I'm just going to hang out here. I'm good. Is that what he did? No. And he pursued God up that mountain. It was a treacherous journey. He exerted a lot of effort to meet with God. He hiked. He fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. He sweated, I'm sure. He worked hard to be face-to-face with God. And what was the result? He was changed. His face was shining. And what we have is even better than what Moses had. That was but a faint glimpse of the glory that we have by the Holy Spirit. Because the veil was torn when Christ cried out on the cross, we now have the same access to God that Moses had. And you could even say it's closer. We have the opportunity to meet with God in the Spirit through His Word every single day. And there are a lot of spiritual disciplines that we could talk about, but there are two that are the most important. The most effective disciplines you could incorporate into your life is daily time with God in His Word and in prayer. 1 Timothy 3, 16-17 tells us that Scripture is good for teaching, for correcting, for training in righteousness so that we would be equipped for good works. So if you want to do good in this world, you need to be in your Bible. The psalmist calls it a lamp for our feet and a light for our path. If we want to know where to go in life, you need to be in your Bible. Joshua tells us to make sure we meditate on the Word day and night so that our ways can be prosperous. If you want to be wise, you need to be in the Bible. Jesus told us that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word from God. You need to be in your Bible. You need to know your Bible. You need to grow to love your Bible. It is your food. You will be a malnourished Christian without it. And just as the Bible is food for our spiritual body Prayer is our oxygen. The Bible calls us to pray without ceasing. It tells us that if we're anxious, we should pray. If we have needs, we should pray. If we are weak, we should pray. But not only that, when we are strong, we should give thanks to God. When we receive blessing, we should show gratitude to God. Every situation in your life is a situation for prayer. If you want to grow in your relationship with God and be transformed into a holier Christian, a more godly Christian, then work on these two spiritual disciplines. But you can't do it alone. Okay, you will burn out. You will fail. You need help. And that help is community. God created us for community. When he made man, he said in Genesis 2.18 that it is not good for man to be alone. Living the Christian life on your own is a recipe for disaster. Community is essential for our spiritual transformation. Being in community is also commanded by God. Hebrews ten twenty four through 25 tells us that we should consider one another in order to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other all the more as you see the day approaching. Are you neglecting to gather together? With God's people. At Stephen Street, we live this out in four different ways. Okay, we worship together on the Lord's Day. We study the Bible and pray with each other in life groups. We confess our sins and hold each other accountable in discipleship groups. And we live on mission together. Pastor Tommy talks about next steps a lot. Out of these four areas, which next step do you need to take? Maybe you need to join in covenant with a local church because you aren't regularly worshiping with God's people then your first step is to start coming on Sunday and making it a habit and attend a connection class. Maybe you're a member here and you come to worship, but that's it. You just show up on Sundays and that's kind of your life as a Christian. Your next step needs to be to join a life group where you develop deeper relationships with people. You share your needs and you pray for one another and you study God's word together. Maybe you're doing those things, but you feel like you're just stagnant in your walk with God. If you just don't feel like you know the Bible that well, then join a D group. D groups are, are specific groups of like three to five same gender who meet together for about a year regularly to confess sin, study God's word together and hold each other accountable. But no matter which of those stages you're in, if you're a Christian, you're called to live on mission. So do that in your workplace, in your city. Join one of our impact teams as they go on mission like Pastor Scott is right now. And Jesus sent people on mission But if you notice some of the passages, he sends them together. He sends them in twos. He does this for a reason, because we need courage. And when you're with community, man, there's just this boldness that comes over you. Because, man, nothing that we do, even the Great Commission, was meant to be done alone. We need each other. Lastly. If you've been transformed by believing the gospel, you've dedicated yourself to God, and you're pursuing biblical change, you will be able to discern God's will in whatever situation life throws your way. The latter part of verse 2, so that, so all of this that we talked about, so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. First, let's note that God's will is good, pleasing, and perfect. The world looks at Christianity as if it's this cold, dead religion that's just filled with rules and just holding people back from doing what they want. But that's not the case. Every Christian knows this. True Christianity is freedom, it's joy, it's love, it's peace, it's the good life. And if we want to live the good life, then we must discern God's will. What is God's will? It's God's word. To discern God's will is to read God's word and then do what it says. Do you want to have the good life? Follow God. Obey his word. It's really that simple. You know, I feel like I've tried all that the world has to offer, even if it's just a little bit. None of it has satisfied me the way Christ has. Every time I've disobeyed God, I've regretted it. You know, and I believe that God let me taste the things of the world to show me how much sweeter he is. That's what he did to David. You know the story of David. He committed some atrocious sins, and God punished him greatly for it. In Psalm 119.71, he said, It was good for me to be afflicted so that I could learn your statutes. I feel like that was my story. God, let me be afflicted. Let me taste the world to show me how much sweeter he is. And now I've learned, just like David, that the will of God is good, it's pleasing, and it's perfect. Is the will of God difficult to obey sometimes? Absolutely. Absolutely. Following Jesus is one of the most difficult things you could do. It's a treacherous journey. It's more like a battle than it is a walk through the park. Okay, but you gain freedom through it. Just like soldiers going overseas, they're fighting for freedom. That's what what we gain. You grow. You change. You become more like Jesus. And ultimately, that's what all of us desire, right? We want to be more like Christ and less like us. So join me on this journey. God is calling you to take a step. A step on this path of transformation. Maybe it's to believe for the first time, to make your faith public. Come and talk to me or one of the pastors out in the lobby after this. We already saw God move in the first service. Someone came up to Pastor Tommy. It's like, man, that resonated. My life is in shambles. I need to follow Jesus. Maybe it's to quit being apathetic and devote yourself to God by making your faith public and repenting of your sin, coming to this altar, praying for God to to, just get this sin out of you, purge this sin out of you. Just come to Him. His mercy is new. Every morning, come receive it. He's got a storehouse filled with infinite amount of mercy. Come and receive that today. Maybe it's that you need to be devoted to God's word and prayer and to discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Maybe that's the step you need to take. Find a brother. Find a sister. Ask them to join you on this journey and to keep you accountable. Maybe your step is just to simply worship Him for His great mercy in your life. And you can do that right now. You can do that in your seat. You can do that in this prayer time as we sing. Just to worship God for His mercy. Either way, God's Word calls us to take action, to take a step. So I want to leave you with one question to ponder as we enter into a time of prayer and worship. What step is God calling you to take today? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your Word. Thank you for your mercy. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We deserve your judgment, we deserve your wrath. But you looked at us with kindness, and you sent your son Jesus to die for our sins. What great mercies that is. God, you are so good. Thank you for your word that calls us to change. God, and thank you that we don't do it alone. We have your Holy Spirit to guide us, to prod our heart, to lead us. And thank you for this church, God, that we're not on this journey of transformation alone either, that we have our brothers and our sisters to join arms with. God, because we're going to fall, we're going to fail, we're going to stumble. But we trust that through your church, You'll help pick us back up. Please change us, God. Please change our hearts to want you more. To want your word. Please help us. Give us the desire to obey it. We need your help, God. Lord, we give this all to you. Have our lives. Take them. Use them however you please. Make us more like Jesus. I pray it in his Holy and precious name, amen.